Chapter 15 Three days had passed since Kenneth watched the metal axe cut across Darrell's hands, three days had passed since the Viking whiplashed forty times across his very back. The sting of the lacerations still lingered, plaguing Kenneth's waking hours. Sleep brought little relief. His dreams were nothing less than nightmares, dark realms where he relived his horrors with each closing of his eyes. The thick sky that had released its deluge, that awful evening three nights prior, still remained above. It refused to depart and continued to spew down its wet dread upon Kenneth. The grey gloom hovered over the Viking fort, and the days passed with no warmth. For Kenneth, the external mirrored the internal, where a dreadful doom lined his veins like a venomous plaque. Kenneth rotted in the solitude of the courtyard, chained between two posts. Miserable thoughts stirred his mind. His father, his family, his countrymen, were they not coming to free their brothers? Should they not have come already? Were they to be left to die as slaves? Kenneth lifted his head and stared beyond the tall wooden posts forming the front wall of the hated Viking fort. He peered at the distant hill, the same hill he had crested so many countless days past when the Vikings first brought him to their wretched den. He stared into the distance as if to see the first soldiers of a long procession of Scots, marching over the hill to come and save and conquer. The drizzling mist beaded on his brow. The drops fell one after another before his eyes. He stared past the thin curtain of water, fixing his gaze on the hill, waiting and wondering, yet fearing to hope. His soldiers never came. Mist continued to pool on his skin, and course over his haggard frame. Drops streamed down his neck and torso and soaked the cloth around his waist. Kenneth's head eased downward, and his eyes fell to his bare chest. His heart sank when he recalled the missing cross that once dangled from his neck, and how the heirloom had once graced Arabella's sweet skin on a better day than this day. He tugged his chains and cursed as images of Halfton, ripping away his brother's gift, replayed in his mind. Kenneth relented, and relaxed his arms. He succumbed to the rains and the dreary reality of the dismal day. Closing his eyes, he wanted to let go. With summer now gone, the penetrating moisture of the steady rains brought the hollow chill of fall. The chill was an enemy. Kenneth had shivered through the past several nights where the cold had robbed him of any meaningful sleep. The only good the rains offered, if one could call it good, was a brief respite for his wounds to heal. The rains meant a reprieve from the rock quarry for the captives, but when the rains stopped, how would he deliver enough rocks for two men? The men in the quarry were worked to near death. How would he double their portion? And what would become of Darrell if he didn't? Kenneth gazed toward the Viking pit and the heavy logs lying over it, sealing it like an immovable hatch. He wondered if Darrell was still alive in the muddy dungeon. Seeing Darrell collapse and heave in shock under the falling axe gave Kenneth no assurance that his friend would survive. He imagined Darrell and his mutilated hands, wasting away in the wet bowels of the pit with an incessant, drip of rainwater seeping through the log covering. In the three days that had passed, no sounds or stirrings ever came from the pit, only the guard's daily lowering of a food bucket into its black belly. This was Kenneth's only shred of hope that his friend was still alive. The price Darrell paid for saving Kenneth became an ever-growing weight upon Kenneth's soul, a very heavy weight, but then again, the burden of guilt is always heavy. In his mind, Kenneth wanted to deny it all, but deep down the reality was undeniable, the once vigorous Scott was now rotting away in a dark and miserable hole while Kenneth remained alive on the earth above. The dawn of the fourth day brought with it an auspicious Dalryadan sunrise. 
the early morning air held a cool crispness that promised to dry the sodden ground, as well as Kenneth's saturated body. Kenneth stood to take in the warmth of the sun's light. He peered again at the distant hill, this time with a renewed hope that his father and brother would soon appear with an army of Dalriadans behind them. Kenneth's stomach roared. He glanced at the prison pen, and the men inside moving about. They had stepped out from under the small thatch roof that offered shelter from the rains. With the showers now passed, the men would be taken to the forest and the rock quarry, and the Vikings would bring a ration of bread as a morning meal. Kenneth craved the bread. Kenneth gazed toward the pit. He prayed the sunshine might offer Darrell some semblance of relief from the ceaseless moisture. That maybe the rising sun would pierce through the cracks in the log covering, anything to give his friend a modicum of warmth and a hopeful glimpse of medicinal light. The guards soon arrived at the pen. There, they began throwing bread to the prisoners, through the openings between the posts. The Scots rushed for the bread and devoured the scraps like starving dogs tearing into raw meat. Kenneth's hunger erupted inside as two guards approached him. Each held a single piece of bread. Today's your day, the taller guard said. Then the man glanced at the second guard and smirked. Kenneth peered at the two with a haughty glare, unamused and eager for his meal. I said, it's your day. From nowhere, the tall guard's hand struck Kenneth, smacking his cheek. Now wipe that look off your face, Scott. Kenneth straightened himself after his head finished its sideways swivel. He licked the edge of his lip and slowly glared upwards at the guard. My day for what? Your day to gather rocks, a good many rocks, the man said. Rocks, Kenneth muttered. The guard lifted his hand with a sizable hunk of bread lodged between his fingers, and he took a bite. Damn fine bread, he said. Kenneth mockingly acknowledged with a single nod of his head. The man took another bite. Then the second guard bit into his own piece of bread. The man began to chew the morsel slowly in his mouth. You'll get hungry carrying the rocks today, the tall man said. He swallowed and ripped another bite with his teeth. Halfton said that we should hold off on giving you any bread. He says you'll be working hard today and doesn't want you getting sick on a full stomach. Thoughtful, Kenneth murmured under his breath. The two stared at Kenneth, amusing themselves as they finished their delicacy. Upon consuming the last of the bread, they unlocked Kenneth from his post. The shorter guard stepped behind Kenneth, and then Kenneth received a hard shove on his backside. The man's hand dug into Kenneth's open flesh and a crippling surge of pain shot through his torso. Kenneth stumbled forward and then slowed himself to gain his balance. Move it, Scott, the guard barked. Kenneth ambled toward the two lines of captives forming outside the pen. He saw Nicole standing in the line to the left. The older Scott had recovered from his beating, but his movement was sluggish and labored. The two guards escorted Kenneth to Nicole's line, the quarry line. There he was given a metal stake and a large iron mallet. A Viking shouted an order, and the Scots began their procession to the rock bed. Kenneth was last in line. He purposed to keep pace and refused to let his raw back or chained limbs slow him. Over the four days that followed, Kenneth found the task of breaking rock both physically grueling and mentally numbing. He much preferred the dropping of pines to the chiseling of rock. Though both chores exhausted the body, at least the felling of a tree brought a measure of achievement. At the quarry, a man could pound rock for an entire day, and still the massive granite walls never seemed to diminish. 
Kenneth endured the task and pushed himself to deliver twice the rocks of the others, though it came at a cost. By the middle of the fourth day, Kenneth found himself fighting exhaustion under the toiling labor that drained his strength like the desert sun on a shallow pool. The fifth morning hit hard. The lack of food was crushing. The small portion of pasty bin mush given nightly to the captives hardly sustained him. The others had the benefit of a ration of morning bread, but Kenneth received no bread. Morning call came. The Viking men lined up beside the captives and the march to the wall of rock began. Another day of quarry work had arrived. Kenneth swung the heavy iron mallet, but his tired arms were all but robbed of strength. He felt powerless to break the rocks free. The returning grey skies only accentuated his misery. Despondency had shadowed him and now was taking root, penetrating deep and slowly sucking his will to press on. Kenneth stared up at the dense, gloomy blanket of clouds. He lamented life, all things precious were being stripped from him, even the light of the sun. The gloom continued as the hours crept by. At midday, the prisoners were granted a moment of rest from their labor. Kenneth stopped where he stood. He wiped the sweat from his brow and surveyed the pile of rubble at his feet. His portion of rocks was running even with that of his fellow captives. He would need to do better. The other prisoners took rest and sat beside their piles. A guard brought a sack of water and allowed the Scots to pass it among themselves. Not waiting for the water, Kenneth picked up his mallet and gazed at the monolithic wall of rock. He pressed his metal stake against the stone and swung his mallet. Sit, Scott. A guard shouted. Again, Kenneth lifted his mallet above his head. I said, sit. The guard drew his sword. The sound of the sliding steel echoed in Kenneth's ears. He swung and landed his mallet a second time, loosening a large stone. Without looking back, he eased his hands open and dropped his mallet and stake at his feet. Then he lowered his frame and sat beside the large cracked stone, yearning to strike it again and set it free. Nicole approached and offered a drink from the water sack. Kenneth took the water and drank. The tepid liquid refreshed his throat but could not quench his fear, his haunting fear of failure. He sat silent, staring at the loose stone still fixed in the rock wall. You all right? Nicole asked and lowered to sit next to Kenneth. Kenneth wiped his mouth and gazed at Nicole. I should guess I am, Kenneth replied. Though I'd be lying if I said I'm doing well at getting the rocks I need. The two looked at Kenneth's pile and then at the other piles. You're struggling, Nicole said. You're far from a double portion. I don't understand it. I'm swinging the mallet and hitting the rock, but my strength, it's gone. Nicole glanced over his shoulder at the guards. The men stood clustered in a group, bantering with one another. Nicole slid his hand to his waist, and dug into his pocket. I brought this for you, he said. He held out two portions of bread. Take them, and eat. Kenneth gazed back at the older Scot. You brought these for me. But you need them. Some of the other men and I have rationed our bread, and we want you to have this. Nicole put the bread in Kenneth's hand and stood to leave. The others have noted that the stone has gotten harder, looks to me that we'll be much slower than you this afternoon, Nicole said in a lowered voice. He offered a smile and walked away. Thanks, Kenneth said. It had been a long time since Kenneth had seen kindness. It had been a long time since he'd had bread. He tore at the first piece of bread and shoved a wad in his mouth. 
its flavor overwhelmed his taste buds. The morsel was delicate and fine, and it danced on his tongue as he chewed. His mouth flooded with saliva, and he devoured the bite. The delectable sustenance stirred his spirit and strengthened his resolve. That afternoon, Kenneth's mallet was lighter and the rocks were less defiant. He worked with earnest and added to his pile. And it grew quicker than the others. The sun was now low in the western sky. With his large rock pile complete, Kenneth began the first of his treks up the hill. He carried two, sometimes three rocks with each trip. At the top of the hill, he loaded the stones into the carts as the others did, and each time he hurried back down the hill for more. Kenneth picked up a large stone on his fifth trip and moved up the hill. Stop there, Scott, Magnus said, stepping in front of Kenneth. The hairy brute had been given duties over Kenneth and a dozen others for the day. You'll have to hurry if you plan to get the rest of your rocks in the carts by the time we pull away. I see that, Kenneth replied. Good, I'm glad you understand, Magnus responded. If you'll allow, I should move ahead. Magnus stepped aside, then move, Scott. He barked. Kenneth climbed up and down the rocky hill, carrying his stones to the carts and passing the others coming and going with their loads. The company of Scots moved busily along the hillside, trekking back and forth like irritated ants toting rubble to a mound. Kenneth stood beside his pile at the base of the quarry. Reaching down, he grabbed two rocks that were sizable and jagged. The muscles in his hands throbbed as he wrapped his fingers around their rough edges and pulled them to his chest. With the rocks tight against his frame, he started up the hill. Partway up, Kenneth passed under Magnus' shadow. The Viking was watching over the Scots from his perch atop a large grayish-brown boulder beside the path. Kenneth glanced upward. Move it! Magnus called out. He was staring down the hill, apparently addressing someone behind Kenneth. Kenneth cocked his head to steal a glance. Two Scots were kneeling beside their rock piles, claiming a moment of rest. The two picked at the stones in their piles and began to busy themselves. Kenneth turned and moved ahead to the carts. When Kenneth reached the rear cart, he dropped his two rocks. They hit the ground with a thump. He bent over and grabbed the rocks one at a time. A spasm splintered across his lower back as he lifted the second rock up and over the sidewall of the cart. He heaved it onto the mounting pile, then stood erect, drew a deep breath, and stretched his arms as far as his chains allowed. So, Magnus has watch over you today. Kenneth stiffened when he heard the voice. He knew the voice. He closed his eyes. He took another deep breath and eyed peripherally over his shoulder. Yes. Magnus has watched today, he said reluctantly. I should make sure he keeps a close eye on you. I would hate for you to fall short, Alric said, sporting his typical pompous grin. Kenneth rotated slowly on his heels. He stood square and peered at the Viking. Auric's golden hair was ratty, and his nose was mildly disfigured from where his face had encountered Kenneth's fist only days prior. I don't plan to fall short, Kenneth said. He didn't await a response. He stepped past Alric and hurried down the hill as quickly as his shackled feet allowed. Magnus. Magnus, I must speak to you, Auric's voice rang out from the top of the hill as Kenneth descended to his pile. Kenneth grabbed a single large stone and headed back up the path. With his head tilted down, he peered through the matted hair that hung over his eyes, surveilling Alric like a hawk. 
Auric stood beside the large boulder claimed by Magnus, engaging the brute in the Norse tongue. Kenneth heard an exchange of words and then a collective laugh. He cursed them both under his breath as he passed. The thick grey sky was a villain. The gloomy veil stole the evening remnants of sunlight, bringing an early closure to the day. Soon the Vikings would call the captives to form their lines and begin the hike back to the fort. Kenneth gazed at his pile. Five rocks remained. They were too large and too heavy to carry in a single load. It would take two trips. He picked up three of the rocks and left the other two. Kenneth balanced the three stones in his arms and headed to the carts. As he neared the large boulder where Magnus perched, he spied Auric still hovering beside the boulder with his eyes prowling over the Scots as they passed. Kenneth kept his head low and moved forward. He neared Auric. The golden-haired Viking stepped into the path. It doesn't look like you'll make your count today, Scott. Kenneth neither lifted his eyes nor opened his mouth. He moved past Alric and continued up the hill. Magnus, did you see that? Has your boy gone deaf? No, Alric, I don't think he's gone deaf. I think he simply doesn't like you, Magnus said and then laughed aloud. Well, it appears it is time for your carts to pull out. The day has grown old and night is near. You should consider having your carts return to the fort, Auric claimed. Kenneth reached the carts and dumped his rocks. He paused for a brief moment before heading back for the last two. Yet there was no avoiding it, he would have to pass Auric again. Kenneth began his descent and glanced ahead at the hot-tempered Viking. He walked briskly along the far side of the path and stared down the hill, trying to appear distracted. Auric straddled the path. Scott, the carts are leaving. You don't have time for any more rocks? Kenneth ignored his foe and stepped to the edge of the path as he drew closer to Alric. I said, you don't have time for any more rocks. Kenneth glanced at Alric. I'll try, Kenneth replied without slowing. As he passed Alric, the Viking grabbed his shoulder. The words came again, you are out of time. Alric finished his declaration and shoved Kenneth. Kenneth stumbled forward, clumsily descending the path. As he fought to regain his balance, his foot clipped the chain binding his ankles, and he tripped and fell to a knee. Magnus stood on the boulder, idly watching the two with amusement. Kenneth turned and glared back at Alric. The Viking stood in the middle of the path, shaking his head at Kenneth like a king to a fool. Kenneth wanted to storm the hill and fight the man, he wanted to kill the man. Then he remembered his friend. He remembered, Darrell. Kenneth rose to his feet and hurried to retrieve his two remaining rocks. Auric turned up the hill and strolled toward the carts. Reaching his pile, Kenneth quickly gathered the last two rocks. He ignored his tightening muscles, his sore hands, and his now bloody knee. The rocks were heavy and odd-shaped, making them difficult to carry. Kenneth steadied himself and righted the load in his arms. Then he started up the hill. Halfway up, Kenneth saw the first two carts pulling away. He saw Alric speaking to the driver of the third and final cart. When the two finished their exchange, they peered down the hill, eyeing Kenneth as he approached. Kenneth quickened his pace. As he neared the greyish-brown boulder, he tried to expand his stride. Yet his chains pulled tight, forcing him to lurch as he stepped. The larger rock twisted in his arms and dropped to the ground. When he bent to lift it, the second rock tumbled from his grip.
Kenneth peered up the hill. Auric was standing beside the lead horse of the last cart. He struck the animal with his tasseled rod, and the horse jerked and the wheels of the cart began to roll. Kenneth grabbed the large rock with both hands and hurried to catch the cart as it pulled away. Striding quickly, Kenneth passed Alric and followed the moving cart to the crest of the hill. He closed on it and threw his rock forward. The rock landed with a crash on top of the pile and then rolled down over the other rocks until it settled on the edge. And there it rested, moving away with the cart and its rubble. Kenneth gazed back at Magnus. The Viking had left his perch and was now standing where the cart had been parked. Double portion, Kenneth said with labored breath. Double portion. Magnus questioned. You're short. And the carts are gone, Alric declared. The golden-haired Viking stepped beside Magnus and pointed back at the small rock that sat alone in the path. Doesn't look like you finished. Magnus, you heard Halfton, the Scot didn't meet his double portion. I suppose you're right, Alric, Magnus replied. I usually am. Auric responded smugly. Then he placed his hand to his jaw and began kneading the skin of his chin with his thumb and forefinger. Kenneth, my dear Scott, your friend will be most disappointed to hear of this news, to hear you couldn't keep him alive for. You bastard. Kenneth shouted. You wanted this. Come now, don't be naive. Didn't we all? Auric grinned and glanced at Magnus. He placed his hand on Magnus' shoulder. Didn't we all? You bass, Kenneth's tongue stopped when he felt the tip of a sword press into his back. Magnus eyed the guard behind Kenneth and then glanced at each of the others, we're done here, round up the prisoners and return to the fort. You heard him, move, the voice behind Kenneth growled. Kenneth turned and twisted in his chains through the night, wrestling in and out of sleep and wakefulness, yet never quite finding one or the other. His thoughts ran in a thousand directions, though none were settling. Thoughts of Arabella brought only misery, with the memories feeling more like regrets. In his chains, he could do nothing for her, nothing but leave her broken, much like he had Darrell. He thought of Aidan and how he had left him in Renton, and how he had stood by helplessly on the cliff and watched him fall to his death. An image of his father sitting on a horse appeared in his mind. He considered how his father had raised his sons to be strong and courageous. Yet Kenneth couldn't help but feel that he had grown to nothing more than a worthless shell of weakness and shame. He recalled the awful day that Droston came home lifeless in the wooden cart. What was left of his family? Only Chorich, the warrior. Could even Chorich stand against the evil that now darkened their world? And Durell, how could Kenneth look into his eyes when they pulled him from the pit? How could he gaze upon his friend knowing his friend was doomed to die, knowing Durell's blood was on his hands? The Black Knight inched on, mocking Kenneth as it passed. The sun broke across the eastern mountain ridge. Its brilliant, bright light burned away the morning clouds of dawn, filling the skies with an empty blue. The sun's light fell on Kenneth's soiled skin. He opened his eyes, sadly, to another day. His back wrenched with aches, and his shackles weighed heavy on his limbs, though his physical afflictions were the least of all that tormented him. Haran? The blast of the sound sent shockwaves through Kenneth's body. The terrible Viking horn filled his ears, and his head shot upwards. Guards rushed back and forth across the courtyard, churning a dreadfulness that stirred and lifted in the air like a cloud of invisible poison. Two Vikings hurried past Kenneth, 
one carried a long rope looped over his shoulder. Kenneth locked his gaze on the two, and his stomach twisted as he helplessly envisioned the moments to come. When the two men reached the pit, they circled its log covering and then stopped beside one another. After speaking for a moment, they split up and began to roll the logs to the side. One by one, they removed the logs and exposed the pit to the light of day. With the covering removed, one guard took the rope and tied it to a post then threw the remainder of the line into the hole. Kenneth watched as the second man grabbed the rope and slowly disappeared into the pit. Kenneth's eyes shut and images of Darrell flashed through his mind. He half hoped his friend had already passed. Maybe in God's mercy Darrell had moved from this world to the next, far away from this earthly hell. Would it not be better to live in that distant paradise than to survive another moment in this misery? He asked himself, though he suspected he knew the answer. Kenneth shuddered at what he saw next. Darrell's limp frame lifted from the earthen dungeon, and appeared as a lifeless carcass. The Vikings untied the Scot and released him. Devoid of all strength, Darrell collapsed to his knees. Nothing was left of the man but mud and grime and a large, hollow, frail frame. Darrell slowly lifted his head. Kenneth exhaled. The two Vikings stood on either side of the beleaguered Scot. They grabbed his arms and hoisted him to an upright stance. Darrell released a groan as he rose from his knees. He swayed as he stood, and his posture formed a crooked hunch. After several labored breaths, he lifted his gaze toward the sun inching above the horizon. There he remained, mesmerized, as if in a world of his own. Suddenly, one of the Vikings shouted at Darrell and slapped his face. Without awaiting a response the two men grabbed him and placed his arms behind his back and shackled his wrists. The Vikings convulsed at the sight of the bloody nubs on Darrell's hands, remnants of where his thumbs once had been. After the two had finished binding Darrell, they released his chains and dropped his locked wrists, leaving his bound arms to dangle behind his back. He offered no resistance. Haran? The horn blew again. A commotion stirred in the pen. The Vikings clanged their swords and shields against the wooden posts of the prison, barking orders to silence the prisoners and threatening them with their blades. The prisoners ignored the threats and only shouted louder. Several took hold of the prison posts and violently heaved and pushed to tear them down. Their eyes pooled with anger and vengeance and hate. Had they the means of escape, their rage would have turned to riot, likely to their death. Yet the deep-seated posts stood fixed, containing the imprisoned Scots and their fury. Men of Dalriada. The booming voice echoed above the chaos. The Viking guards stepped back from the prison and turned to face the voice. Again, the voice boomed, Men of Dalriada. The prisoners settled, stirring among the pen and muttering curses at the guards. Kenneth twisted his body and cocked his head to look behind him. There, high on the platform in the middle of the courtyard, Halfton stood, a dozen paces from where Kenneth was chained. Kodron and Jorand took positions on the ground, standing like guardians in front of the wooden structure. Men of Dalriada, a day of reckoning has come to you. You once had the freedom to serve yourselves, but as you will see today, that freedom has been stripped away. Halfton held out his hands and cast his gaze toward the prisoners. You once perceived yourselves as a strong people, a free people. Look around you, that time has passed. And just as you now serve me, so too shall your wives, your sons, and your daughters, serve me in the days to come. 
Kenneth glanced back at Darrell, now standing beside the pit and staring listlessly into the sky. Kenneth closed his eyes and lowered his head. Among you are those who have chosen to resist. This, I assure you, was a costly choice. In my mercy, I granted reprieve, a compromise. Halfton glared down at Kenneth. Yet you were unable to keep your part in the compromise. Halfton walked to the edge of the platform and turned toward the prison pen. Your beloved Kenneth, once a spirited man among you, seems to have lost his spirit. He no longer finds the strength to fight against the might of the Vikings. In a sense, he has grown wiser. His decision to relinquish his end of the compromise is a testimony to his wisdom, wisdom that sees that the weak shall always submit to the strong. Kenneth turned his head and forced himself to look at Halfton once again. His hatred for the man consumed him. He etched every detail of the man's face into his mind, his beard, his eyes, his thick brow, and his bony, rigid jaw. Kenneth seethed. He swore he would war with every ounce of strength to rid the earth of the animal. He wanted to kill the man and bring upon him a miserable and bitter death. It is time. Halfton raised his hand and motioned to the two Vikings on either side of Durrell. Kenneth could only watch as the two men half-dragged the ragged Scott past him to the edge of the courtyard. From the backside, Kenneth could see Durrell's rib cage protruding against his sagging skin. The three were twenty feet from Kenneth when Halfton called for them to stop. They halted. The two men released Durrell and waited for Halfton's orders. Durrell remained slumped with his back to Kenneth for several moments and then slowly straightened his frame but never turned. Kenneth eyed the ground at Durrell's feet. His gaze slowly moved up Durrell's muddy legs to his torso. He stared at the crusty stubs on Durrell's hands, the cruel reminder of his missing thumbs. It was then that Durrell turned to face Kenneth. Their eyes met, and a chill ran over Kenneth's body. He felt cold and naked. He wanted to say something, yet his tongue was paralyzed. Kenneth, he heard his name crawl from Durrell's mouth. I'm sorry, Kenneth uttered. You saved my life, Durrell. I should be the one standing where you are. Durrell didn't speak. Instead, his eyes shifted from his friend to the barbarian on the platform. Halfton descended the planks of the wooden stage and slowly strode across the courtyard, stopping beside Durrell. He dismissed the two guards and motioned for Codron and Jorand. Kenneth eyed the two as they approached, marching toward Durrell like demons of death. Kenneth burned inside. He was bound, with all the passion to fight and kill, but without the freedom to do either. His jaw clenched. Halfton, you are a madman. You have no right to do this. Saliva sprayed from his teeth as the words leapt from his mouth. He tore at his chains, yet his struggle was futile, the iron bindings would not yield. Dejected, Kenneth turned his gaze toward Durrell and surveyed the once virile Scott for a long, timeless moment. Then he spoke, don't let this happen, Durrell. The look in Durrell's eyes severed Kenneth's heart. It was not a look of anger or blame, but one of empathy and affection. Kenneth had seen it before, but only in the eyes of his father. Durrell swallowed, then his mouth slowly moved, Kenneth, destiny chooses as it pleases. This path has been chosen for me. You, my friend, have been destined for a path unlike mine. Destiny has a different plan for you, and a man cannot stay the hand of providence. The words fell from his lips like a portentous utterance from God. Durrell blinked several times, drew a deep breath, and then exhaled. 
Kenneth, do not let your fury bring your demise, rather may it grant you wings to fly and carry you to a distant place, where you live again among a free people, beyond the misery of savage men. Enough? Halfton yelled. End this. He swept his hand through the air in a swift cutting motion. Codron drew his sword. Varel stared at Kenneth with eyes portraying a dying wish. He nodded with a certain finality, and he pressed his last words deep into the young Scot's soul, may the death of one ignite the freedom of many. Then Durell twisted his wrists behind his back, and his iron chains fell from his thumbless hands. He lifted his palms heavenward as if to grasp the hands of Christ. In a blur, Codron swung his angry sword and sliced the midsection of the large axeman. For a moment, time ceased. Kenneth screamed to a world without ears, gazing on as Darrell's entrails released from his open torso and poured onto the ground below. Darrell dropped to his knees, and with his arms still extended, he cried, Lord God, grant me. Halfton's four-inch, jewel-handled knife ripped across Darrell's throat, cutting off his last words and stilling his tongue. Halfton paused and then lifted his foot and pushed the Scots bent frame to the ground. The axeman's body crumpled to a lifeless mound. Halfton rushed toward Kenneth. He grabbed a wad of Kenneth's hair and stuck his bloody blade an inch from Kenneth's eye. This is on you, Scott. This is on you. He shoved Kenneth's head sideways and stormed away. Every nightmare Kenneth had prayed against had now been fulfilled. The man he had hoped to save lay dead before him. Kenneth shut his eyes, and his heart. He despised all that made up the world, even life itself. The courtyard was empty. An eternity had passed. No sound could be heard except the rush of the wind, blowing in an unseen direction. Despite the agony and regret, Kenneth summoned his spirit to gaze upon his fallen friend. There on the ground before him lay the broken body of the axeman, his cold blue eyes open and peering back at Kenneth. Darrell's earlier words echoed in Kenneth's ears, piercing his heart like a spear thrown from heaven. In courage, his friend had saved his life, and had willingly bore the consequences. It was then that Kenneth understood something he should have understood long ago, that courage is not born in the hands of the mighty who oppress the weak, but rather in the hearts of the weak who dare to stand against the mighty. He would not allow it to end here. He prayed for courage, courage beyond his own.